0: Welcome to The Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling.
1: Before I decided to get married, I read a lot of books about commitment. I read memoirs written by commitment folks, and I read advice books written by therapists, and I invited my future husband to spend a weekend with me in Montreal So that I could tell him everything that I had learned about the institution of marriage. And because he's patient and also because he wasn't really that worried about getting married, he agreed. We did a lot of surveys. (laughs) (laughs) They were about how we would manage our household chores and how we would raise any future kids and how we would handle it when our values and our politics were at odds. And because we were 28, and considering a life together. We talked about who would do the laundry and if we would have kids and who would stay home with them if they were sick. We talked about how often we wanted to have sex and what our love languages were and what we would do if I got pregnant when we weren't expecting it. We talked about faith and monogamy and where we were going to live. We talked a lot about what we would do if either of us had a mental health crisis. We talked about how we would put our romantic expectations on hold and keep each other accountable until that grief, or that depression, or that anxiety was under control. But we didn't talk about what would happen if all of that became irrelevant. So based on all the books that I read about commitment that I just shared with you, and based on the fact that I am a founding member of Stories We Don't Tell, you probably won't be surprised to hear that I love reading firsthand accounts of relationship crises. And one of my favorite places to read these is the Dead Bedrooms subreddit. So, okay, for the rest of you who aren't familiar with it, so first, Reddit is a website. Okay, got it. You're with me. Okay, good. And it's made up of, I assume, millions of specialized communities. They're like very, very niche. So there are feminists, and there are men's rights activists, and there are people who love to make grilled cheese. So if somebody wants to talk about it, there is a subreddit for it. And Dead Bedrooms is a subreddit for people in long-term relationships whose sex lives have died. So many of them are divorced now, and they just like the community, and many of them are trying to navigate decades-long marriages where they haven't even hugged their spouse in five years. It is an incredibly vulnerable place. And right around the time that I got engaged, I started to get this mysterious skin pain. So occasionally it felt like the skin on my thighs was bruised, except that it wasn't. And sometimes there was this sort of buzzing beneath my skin and sometimes I didn't notice it until I touched it and always it made me flinch. And so weeks after I got engaged, I found myself shrinking away from my fiance's touch. Sometimes, because it was new and it was unpredictable. And so neither of us remembered that a gentle hand on my lower back might cause me pain. And I read a story on dead bedrooms once about this devastated man who was trying to bring intimacy back into his marriage. I'm not even talking about sex here. He just wanted to cuddle with his wife to spoon with her. But whenever he reached for her, she turned away and he wrote about how worthless it made him feel, lower than low. And I asked my fiance if he was worried about our sex life. It was true that sometimes it hurt when he touched me, but I still wanted him to feel like he was important. And he told me to stop reading dead bedrooms. (laughs) And then eventually we got married and the skin pain had become an unpredictable but ongoing part of my life. And I didn't have an explanation for it, but it was always worse when I didn't get enough sleep. And so I decided that that was something to manage, but it wasn't just the skin pain anymore. When I didn't get enough sleep, I had this throbbing pain in my lymph nodes and my thoughts got cloudy. So I started to really prioritize it. I tried to get in bed by 9.30 every night and I was already so drowsy by then that sometimes I needed help keeping my balance on the walk to bed. And so my husband, he would tuck me in, and he would turn out the lights, and he would go back to whatever adults do at 9.30 (laughs) p.m. And I told him this story that I read on Dead Bedrooms about this heartbroken man who had sex with his wife about once a week, but she just lay there staring at the ceiling and asked him to hurry up. And this man wanted desperately to feel connected to his wife. And he didn't know how to do that when she was so shut down. And since I was barely coherent in the evenings, I asked my husband if he thought that maybe we should try to get more into morning sex. And he told me to stop reading dead bedrooms. (laughs) And actually, once I thought about it, I realized that mornings weren't that great either. Because six months after we got married, I started waking up with swollen feet and swollen knuckles, and I sneezed nonstop for at least an hour. And then eight months after we got married, I decided to stop working completely before I got fired for missing some kind of major error in my editing workload. And then each day I would wake up and I was swollen and I was trembling at that point and I was aching and I was really foggy. And so my husband would make me coffee the way that I like it, with protein powder and the coconut milk and with stevia. I know. That's how we all like our coffee, I can tell. (laughs) And then he would help me out of bed, and he would walk me to the couch, and he'd, like, tuck me under a blanket, and I settled in with some Netflix, and he would disappear to whatever he had to do that day. And at lunch, he would bring me a smoothie with spinach and greens and berries and then more coconut milk and more protein powder. And I would watch more Netflix, sometimes with my eyes closed. And then at dinner, he'd cook some grass-fed beef and maybe some low-carb veggies and uh, experiment with spice blends before he joined me on the couch. And eventually, he'd help me to bed. And on good days, sometimes I went outside, and on bad days, he would help me walk to the bathroom whenever I needed it. And on most days, I wondered if this was my new normal. I started to reckon with the very real possibility that this was how my life would be from now on. That I wouldn't be able to earn my own money or prepare my own food or walk myself to the bathroom. And that my husband of less than a year would become my caretaker for as long as he chose to stick around. I would be all of the burden with none of the benefits. And I read this story undead
2: bedrooms
1: (laughs) about this guy who was at his wits end because his wife had chronic pain and so she almost never wanted to have sex with him and when she did she needed so many accommodations just to make it tolerable and he wanted to know how he could motivate her to really tackle this problem so that she would have sex with him the way that she did when they were dating and at this point in time I had a tremor and miscellaneous nerve pain and my knee reflex had stopped working completely. And basically because of all that neural dysfunction, my body had forgotten how to orgasm. And also because of my skin thing, affectionate touch was more likely to be painful than pleasurable. Oh, and also, also I really needed to have my head supported at all times. It wasn't a great recipe for sex. And in fact, here's what we did during our first year of marriage when we should have been having sex on every flat surface in our house. We watched all 13 seasons of Supernatural. Mm-hmm. We learned how to play all the cooperative board games that we got as wedding gifts. And he gently scratched my head when I woke up in the middle of the night with Painsomnia. And when I asked him if he was worried about how my health was impacting our sex life, my husband told me to stop reading dead bedrooms. <laughs> And then 10 months into our marriage, we finally found a doctor who could help me. My husband came with me to that appointment to be both physical and moral support. I got a Fitbit to track my heart rate, and I was not at all surprised to learn that on most days, I barely broke 500 steps. But a year after we got married, I was walking on my own again. I still slept a lot, and I watched a lot of Netflix, but I also took myself on one-hour walks in the woods some afternoons. I occasionally hit 10,000 steps on my Fitbit. And then one day we kissed, and I realized that I wasn't just thinking about how much longer I could stand to have my head unsupported. And the painful hot spots on my skin were retreating, so I didn't cringe when he touched me. In fact, I kind of liked it. And my whole body lit up with possibility. Because this thing, this moment, where my body felt good and his body felt good and we were in tune with each other. It felt familiar and I'd forgotten that it used to feel like this. And he felt the possibility too. He stopped kissing me and he buried his face in my neck and he held me. He crushed me really because while I was obsessing about our dead bedroom and I was worrying about what it would mean if I wasn't the exact wife that I had promised to be that weekend that we went to Montreal and we planned our life together. He had been terrified of losing his wife entirely. Thank you.
0: Uh, There's no point in saying welcome to Stories We in the middle of the podcast.
3: Yeah, it's true. They've they've now been listening to us for so long. We presume that they know that we're stories on tell. Or they just like got wrapped in by the accidental click of their computer and they just heard Brienne's voice and they're like, Oh, here we are.
0: Yeah, and then and they were like, Oh, Brienne's back and then they were like, Oh, these right. guys are back.
3: Yeah, exactly. They were so stoked for the first seven to eight minutes uh of this podcast and now they're like, "Uh, Stefan and Paul back on the mic.
0: Yeah, I know. What are you going to do, right?
3: Well, we'll try to keep it short, and then we'll get to another story, because this is a bonus two-story episode, two story episode.
0: Uh, two, two stories for the price of one. Exactly, which is still free. Yeah, so it's like, great. Yeah,
3: I, I, so I think they can make it, as long as they can make it through the five minutes of us trying to explain what we're trying to do here, uh, I think right. uh, they'll be good.
0: All right, so uh, the first thing that we're going to do is, okay, we've got this new thing, uh. It, it, we just, it's just called LG, Digital LGP? Yeah, it's just
3: called Digital Let's Get Personal. Let's Get Personal.
0: So um, I'm going to start, and then you're going to fill in the rest. Uh, basically, for those of you that do or do not know, uh, many uh, years ago now, Stories We Don't Tell, the event, the podcast that you love, everything about it, it started with uh, basically Brianne, Stefan, and I. It started it was started by Brianne. It was a writing group where we had... Uh, Brianne would pick a prompt and we would meet every month and we would write like personal stories that were related or a a reaction or something like that to or not um, to these uh, prompts, which could be essays, which could be just, you know, short stories, could be anything like that. And then um, that's where the eventually we turned it into a live event about personal stories. And then uh, fast forward to today, today.
3: Yeah, yeah. So we 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 at some point we graduated out of sharing stories in a, in a library as as people were grievously confused by how by our our personal storytelling in the middle of a of public space. Um, and and what we've, t- what we've tried to do is since then we've we always what's interesting about the, the the experience of doing let's get personal was that it was actually really it was great. Like it was a it was a good it was a it was a very good way to keep ourselves writing. It was a great way to sort of create sort of the community that was around, around this this concept writing. And it was a great way to, to help uh, prompt ourselves to keep writing uh, and to keep moving forward. And, and so the, what happened at some point was, uh, was Brianne moved away, um, which is why you, which is why she's, if you have wondered why she's not so much on this podcast anymore, it's because she does, she lives uh, about a 10 hour drive from us now in, in Massachusetts. Um, And so and so we've, but we've been, we've been examining how we can sort of try to bring it back, and and so we're trying to bring it back with this digital LGP, which is still will be still in largely led by Brianne, Uh and, but but we, we, with all three of us involved, of course, and the idea is to to recreate that group uh, and to open up that group and open up the, the uh, this uh, this community of storytelling to to the world. Mm-hmm. Like I would'm I'm, I'm gonna say most likely within North America given time zones, right. but you know who, who we, we will not discriminate if you are if you are going to tune in or try to join our conversation uh 12 hours different time zones we appreciate your effort and and do it with us uh, but yeah, the idea is that we'll bring out uh, we'll bring back a prompt uh, and then we'll have these communicate these stories uh, and then these set of five stories these the next five episodes of this podcast will sort of be, homages to it I, I there I, you, you sort of off off mic told me about how you or made the p- point that this is not exactly what LGP is like but we sort of want to do an homage to it uh, as a way to uh, let people know roughly what they could expect
0: mm-hmm yeah so uh, so this is a thing that's like a it's in a pilot phase right now we've done a, a, f- uh, a few um, just like the three of us just to kind of you know figure out how it works technically like online and um, I don't know, it's kind of cool. It's interesting. It it does. It's different, but it is very much in line with what we used to do when we were doing this um, as just a reading and writing group back in the day. Um, but we're going to come back, circle back around to uh, a sort of quote unquote, like discuss, you know, like a prompt or like what something, what is something that could be. Uh, you know, an inspiration, let's say, for something you might want to write about in regards to the stories you've heard today. Um, but uh, what did you think of Brianne's story?
3: Yeah, it's uh, well, Brianne was so, so kind to come up um, uh, and join us in the in, for our launch, step, our launch of the f- episode season four or year four or whatever we're calling these things now. Yeah, um, and it was the thing that i found it was funny actually after after the show talking to Brianna was that she didn't expect people to laugh as much as they did mm-hmm. i think she didn't realize how funny uh it could be despite obviously being such a serious and, and grave topic um and and so, so what I, what i got out of it was sort of this idea of trying to take trying to find humor in the in the in the dark moments um and how often uh, or how occasionally trying to do that sort of is a is an interesting way of thinking about a, a, a worse time. I, I'm sure people have experienced these things where something bad is happening, but then something else happens within that bad context, and it sort of it flips it to being funny, um, yeah. or or just that you can see something that is ironic while still being terrible, mm-hmm. um, uh, or 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 just that there's the way that often we cope with bad things is to is to is, is ends up being in kind of a funny way. Yeah. Um, and so if I was going to give someone a prompt, that we sort of run that idea of like finding humor in in the dark places of life.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, basically, it's like, imagine that this is a audio essay that uh, you have been given as a prompt, and what would your reaction be in regards to finding humor in the dark places? Exactly. So uh, we do want to point out, and it's related to all of these things, and and basically, um, uh, not all of these things, but what, brianne was talking about is that she is actually just uh started her own podcast which is called no end in sight and you can go and uh subscribe to it on itunes on google play and on stitcher and um it's cool it's uh it's
3: uh, it's a podcast that focuses on on chronic illness and, and sort of people's experiences with chronic illness
0: Yes, she talks to friends and strangers about their experiences managing their health, seeking a diagnosis, and building a life with chronic Ill- illness. There you go. Uh, go check it out. It's uh, it's great, and you could just get more Brienne, which everybody wants. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Uh, and and then and speaking of one person who, who who's who's very pro more especially given the context of this these two stories, um, is 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 her is her husband uh, Adam. Uh, who is who's going to tell the next story actually we're going to we're going to segue into, into his story here um, which which is a which is a sort of a corollary with, with, with Brienne's I'm not sure in the, ep, in, the, in the in the room itself where it was told in September I'm not entirely sure if everyone figured that out but you as podcast listeners you're going to get that you know that uh, that he is talking at the same time in the same person uh, and so that's what that's how we're going to end this show uh, mm. with a second story from Adam
2: give it up for Adam I wasn't familiar with the San Francisco Airport parking garage. No matter how close you park to the terminal, you still have to trudge up this long, sloping hallway that seems to go on forever. She was groaning every step of the way. Last time we visited my parents, we borrowed the cane from my mother, who's recovering from knee surgery. It was one of those extendable aluminum ones that snap into place with those little buttons on the side. It rattled in her hand every inch of the way up the terminal. I always stress about time at airports. I could hear the stress in my voice as I tried to sound encouraging to keep us moving forward. My shoulder was throbbing as I pulled the lopsided suitcase with us at such a slow pace. There was a 40 pound portable recumbent bike sitting on top that bounced into my knuckles every step of the way. We got the bike during the month we were living at a hotel. Since she could barely walk most of the time and hadn't been able to move for months, I felt uh, a few minutes moving her feet on the pedals every other day felt like a big improvement. These painful steps up this slight incline were going to be the last we saw of each other for three weeks. I was putting her on a plane to go across the country to my parents' house, while I stayed behind to pack up our home. We had driven out to San Francisco from Boston a little more than a year before. I don't remember what our original aspirations were, but I know it wasn't this. I booked a wheelchair days in advance. We didn't want to risk her collapsing in the, as she tried to walk through the security line. But apparently at the San Francisco airport, even if you book a wheelchair in advance, you have to wait. I left her by the wheelchair stand while I went to check her bags in. When I came back, I couldn't find her. All of the seats had been taken by this large family of elderly Indian women. They looked as miserable and pissed off that they had to wait too. I found her on the floor behind them. She was curled up between a trash can and a fake plant. At least it looked fake. <laughs> we spent the next 40 minutes waiting in mostly silence, only speaking to complain about how shitty the customer service was or to point out when someone was heading towards us with a wheelchair, but only to have them turn around and pick up one of the elderly women instead. I impatiently checked the time every few seconds. She tweeted at the airport's airport's Twitter account. (laughs) We hadn't figured out the problem until about a month before. We were in Brooklyn for a wedding and she felt good. The first night of the weekend, she told me she was going to head back to the hotel early as soon as it was socially acceptable. But it kept getting later and later and she kept saying she was fine. By the time we stumbled back to our room at two in the morning, we were certain something was different. It was the house. It had to be the house. We spent the next two days annoying everyone we could with the theories and anger and something that took so long for us to see. It was the fucking house. It had to be. I told her I wasn't letting her go back there. Luckily, my parents love the Marriott Rewards program. <laughs> they were able to get us an extended stay with their points. But the San Francisco Residence Inn isn't in the city. It's in an under construction business park 20 minutes south of downtown. The only thing within walking distance is another Marriott hotel. Not that we were walking that much anyway. I left her at the hotel and I went back to our house to meet the landlord Dave and the mold inspector. We went room to room with nearly identical results. The inspector asked if there was a history of water damage and Dave said no. Then the inspector pointed to a horrifying stain or a big bulge in the wall and Dave said oh yeah the toilet broke one time and flooded three rooms of the house. Or, oh yeah, there was a hole in the roof for three weeks. Or, oh yeah, we didn't put a vapor barrier in when we did new construction because it didn't seem necessary. While the inspector's moisture meters flashed red and excitedly chirped out their warnings, Dave told me, of course there's moisture in the wall. The house is outside. <laughs> While the inspector took samples of spores on a windowsill, Dave told me, they just call it toxic mold to scare you. Uh, With 20 minutes to spare before her flight, an attendant finally came over with a wheelchair. We had a hurried goodbye, and I watched as this stranger whisked her away through a crowd. Part of me was unsure, unsure if this was the last time I'd see her, and the other part of me was angry at myself for thinking that way. I don't really remember the drive back to my house, but I probably shouldn't have been behind the wheel. My hands ached uh, from how tightly I'd been gripping the wheel as I drove home. I spent the next few days in a weed and pizza induced stupor. I needed to pack, but where do you smart? Where do you start dismantling the life you just started to build? Do you start with the wedding gifts or the room full of knickknacks and memories from a road trip out there? The new doctor said that the only real solution to deal with mold is just get rid of everything. I lay curled up on the couch, staring at the pile of boxes. I needed to assemble and fill. The couch that we just bought together when we first moved into this house, the couch that was probably now covered in poison. We spent most of our days sitting side by side on that couch when she was in too much pain to stand up, when she started to involuntarily shake, when she couldn't hold her head up to look at me. I spent the next weeks packing and cursing Dave and sobbing and progressively emptier rooms. I constantly checked my phone, wondering what had happened if she didn't text me back right away or anticipating a call from my parents saying they had to take her to the hospital. I've been her caretaker for the past year and no one else knew how to keep her safe. So I have this fantasy. It's not sexual.
1: <laughs>
2: it's a little bit sexual for me. <laughs> Even though she's walking now, I still let it run through my head when I'm in a bad mood. It's a rainy Saturday morning. Dave loves waking up to the sound of rain on his, especially on a day when he has nothing else to do. It's like a natural alarm clock letting him know that his day is free, he can take his time and relax. As he rubs the sleep from his eyes, a new noise sends him bolting upright in bed. This weird guttural engine roars to life much closer than it should. He slowly creeps to the window and sees me standing in the street in front of his house with a brick next to an idling bulldozer. We make eye contact as I put the brick on the gas pedal. Confusion and disbelief spread through his face as the gravel-encrusted treads tear through the pavement of his driveway, turn his lawn into mush. Just as the blade of that machine hits his front steps, I turn around and walk away, comforted by that sweet sound of scraping metal and cracking timbers as I walk down the street. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Subscribe to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about the podcast, blog, and live events, find us on Facebook or visit tell.org
3: This episode of the Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by No End in Sight, a podcast about chronic illness. Subscribe on Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play today.